Welcome everyone to the podcast. Uh, so today I'm going to be talking again about milk, um, but this time I'm actually going to talk about what is the milk of God's word, which is the doctrine of righteousness. And so if you listened to my last podcast, that's kind of what I talked about, how you know before you can even partake of the solid food of God's word, it's so important to drink the milk of the word, which is that the doctrine of righteousness. And so that's going to provide you with a strong, strong bones, strong teeth a strong framework to your spiritual life is understanding your righteousness because ultimately condemnation and sin consciousness is always going to rob you of God's best for your life because it hinders your faith. And so really the revelation of righteousness is the only thing that can set a person free from guilt, condemnation, sin consciousness. And so when you become righteousness conscious, conscious, you begin to expect You begin to expect the glory of God in your life, the goodness of God in your life. You begin to expect your prayers to be answered. You know, even in January, coming up with the 21 days of prayer and fasting, the Bible says that the ears of the Lord are open to the prayers of the righteous. So even in your prayer life, it is foundational, this revelation of your righteousness, because when you know for sure that you are righteous, when it becomes a reality to you that you're righteous, then you know that God's ears are open to your prayers. And the Bible says that if we know that he hears us, then we know that we have whatsoever we have asked of him. And so that's why this is like one of my favorite things to talk about. And so I kind of just want to start off by talking about um, Romans chapter seven. So this is really where Paul is explaining the purpose of the law. And so the reason I want to talk about this is because, you know, second Corinthians chapter three, it says the law condemns, but the spirit gives life. The law condemns, but the spirit gives life. So if you're going to be free from condemnation, you need to understand the purpose of the law. Why was the law given? And so, you know, ultimately the Bible talks about how the strength of sin is actually the law. And so when people try to mix in the law with the new covenant Christianity, that's how people end up falling into condemnation and being sin conscious because they're trying to go back under the old system, which is the law. But the Bible says that Christ is the end of the law for those who believe. And so I want to read the scripture in Romans chapter seven. Paul's talking about, he's actually um, talking about what it means when if you're married to someone and that person dies, you're no longer in that covenant with that person. If someone dies, that marriage covenant is broken, right? And so he says in Romans 7, 4, likewise, my brethren, you have undergone death as to the law through the crucified body of Christ so that now you may belong to another, to him who was raised from the dead in order that you might bear fruit for God. So what is he saying? He's saying that we were once married to the law. We were once under the covenant of the law, but because we have been crucified with Christ, we have died with Christ so that now that covenant with the law, that marriage with the law has been broken. It's no more. And we are now married to Christ. We've now come into a new covenant with Christ. The Bible says that our husband is our maker. So we've actually been married to Christ. And so what does that mean? just to use like a natural example to kind of help you understand. So let's just use President Donald Trump as an example. So President Donald Trump got elected as president, right? 
Well, his wife, Melania, she got all the first lady privileges based solely on the fact that she is married to Donald Trump. So understand that Melania, she didn't get, she didn't get elected. She doesn't necessarily have the needed qualifications or the education or the background. It really doesn't matter where she comes from, her, you know, her degrees, her whatever. Really, it doesn't matter. She didn't get elected into that position. She automatically gets to enjoy first lady privileges solely because she's married to Donald Trump. She's married to the guy that got elected and that earned his position as the president of the United States. And so it's the same with us. I mean, it's not exactly the same, but it's a similar idea. So because you're married to Christ, he has earned this position. He has worked his way into this high position. And when you're married to Christ, you automatically get all the first lady privileges of being married to Christ. So everything that Christ has earned because of his perfection, because of what he did on the cross, the Bible says that through one man's obedience, through Christ, perfect obedience to die on the cross, we have been made righteous. We've been brought into that covenant with God, not by our own obedience, but by Christ's one act of obedience. And now we are married to Christ. So now we are enjoying those first lady privileges. And so that's what Paul is talking about in Romans 7. He's saying, you're not married to the law anymore. That old covenant is no longer. Stop trying to go back under the old. Stop trying to put yourself back under the law. And then he goes, on to explain why they need to not go back under the law is because the law is actually what stimulates those sinful desires in mankind. So God gave the law, not so that you could be righteous by the law, but so that you could understand that you're a sinner in need of a savior. God gave the law to show men that you are not good enough to get to God, that we've all fallen short. And so the law in and of itself is holy. But because mankind had a sin nature, right? The law actually, um, it says that the law is actually what um, creates that sinful desire on the inside of you. And so he goes on to talk about this struggle before he was born. He's talking about a person that is not born again, a person that's under the law. He's talking about this struggle that goes on on the inside. It says um, in Romans seven eighteen, it says, I know that nothing good dwells in my flesh. I can will what is right, but I'm not able to perform it. I may have the intention to do what is right, but no power to carry it out. I fail to practice the good deeds that I desire to do and the evil deeds that I do not desire to do are ever what I'm doing. Man, that is so real. Do you know anybody like that? People who are not born again, it's like they know deep down they don't want to do what's wrong, but they're enslaved by the power of sin that even though they don't want to do evil, even though they want to do what's right, it's like they can't because it's this sin nature that's that's dwelling in mankind that even if you want to do good, it's like you're under bondage because the law, the law has stirred the evil desire in men. And so he's talking about basically this whole hopeless situation. And he's talking about the law is good, but you know, when I want to do right and what is good, evil is ever present and I'm subject to its insistent demands. So when a person is under the law, they're actually coming under these demands and it's making it impossible to, to do what is right, but it's actually stirring up those evil desires when the law came. And so, so then it goes on and he says, 
Oh, how unhappy and pitiable and wretched man that I am talking about before Christ. And he said, who will release me and deliver me from the shackles of death? And he said, oh, thank God he will through Jesus Christ, our Lord. And so he's saying that the only answer for this was when Jesus came and broke the power of sin, he condemned sin in the flesh. And so that means that now the power of sin is broken. The power of sin is broken. And when you realize you could never do right on your own. You could never do it on your own. That's why the Bible says, I want to read the scripture to you in Zechariah 4, Zechariah 4, 6. It says, this is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel saying, not by might, not by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord, not by your own might and not by your own power. Can you ever measure up to the demands of the law? You can never be good enough to get to God. You can never, what they're talking about in this um, passage is building the temple, which now we are the temple of God. So it is not, what is he saying? He's saying not by your own might and power. Are you ever going to be able to build the temple, to be able to build your own spiritual life, to be able to get free on your own? But, but even though you can't do it by yourself, he says, but by the spirit of God, you can. And the next verse says, what are you? Oh, great mountain. Before Zerubbabel, you will become a plain and he will bring forth the top stone with shouts of grace, grace to it. And so before we talk about that scripture, what is he talking about? He says, oh, great mountain. What are you? What are you? Oh, great mountain. What is he talking about? Isaiah 59, Isaiah 59, 12 says our transgressions are piled high before you and our sins testify against us. So what he's talking about is this hopeless situation that men, we were all in darkness before Christ came. All men were in darkness, separated from God with no way to get to God. We were in total depravity. And it says that our transgressions were piled up high before God. Your sin was piled up high like a mountain before God. And it actually was constantly testifying against you. So our sin was like this mountain that was constantly accusing us and constantly testifying against us. And we had no way to overcome this great obstacle. But then hallelujah, it says in Zechariah four, what are you? Oh, great mountain, the mountain of your sin before Zerubbabel, which is a type of Christ before him, you will become a plain and he will bring forth the top stone with shouts of grace, 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 grace. So Jesus came and that mountain of your sin that was piled high before God testifying against you, Jesus came and that mountain has become a plain with shouts of grace, shouts of grace, shouts of grace that before the grace of God, every sin, every mountain of sin that has been testifying against you, that has been weighing on you, all your past failure, your past mistakes before the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Every mountain that testified against you shall become a plain, shall become a plain. And so I love that he says that he will bring forth the top stone. What does that mean? That he is, it's not by your own might, not by your own power. Are you doing the Christian life? Are you building your spiritual life? But by the spirit of God, he's the one building you, building you, molding you into the image of Christ. He will bring forth the top stone What does that mean? That he's going to finish the work that he began on the inside of you. 
He will finish the work that he began on the inside of you. He will finish it. Why? Because there is no more condemnation. There is absolutely nothing that will be able to separate you from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. And so, you know, after Romans 7, he goes on and he says in Romans 8, 1, it says, there is now therefore no condemnation to those that are in Christ. Why? Because I'm not even under the law. The law is what condemns. The law is what condemns. The law condemns, but the spirit gives life. So the me that was under the law has died. That person does not even exist anymore. I am a new creature that has been created inside of Christ where condemnation does not even exist. My spirit has been recreated on the inside of Christ. I'm a new creature. I am a new creature. I'm a new creature, one that has never before existed. And I am in Christ. And the Bible says right here, there is no condemnation for those that are in Christ. Are you in Christ? I want to tell you that condemnation does not exist. The sin problem has been taken care of. Jesus Christ became sin with your sin so that you could now become the righteousness of God in Christ. And so if you go on in Romans chapter eight, this whole chapter is so amazing. And he says in verse 29, he's talking about how we were foreordained to be molded into the image of his son. And then it says in verse 30, those who he foreordained, he called and those who he called, he also justified. He also justified and those that he justified, he also glorified. He's the one doing the work. God called me. God justified me when I was ungodly and God is glorifying me. God is doing the work in me, not by my own might, not by my own human power, but by the spirit of God, he's building me up by the spirit of God. He's finishing the good work that he began on the inside of me. And so then in verse 31, it says, what then shall we say to all this? Everything that I just told you, that your sin was piled high before you, but then Jesus came, he shouted grace. It's now like a level plane. You've got the spirit of God. There's no more condemnation. What then shall we say to all of this other than, what does it say right here? What then shall we say to all this? If God is for us, who can ever be against us? If God is for you, if God justified you when you were a sinner, if God came and died for you, if God sent Jesus to die for you while you were in total sin, while you were an enemy of God, if he did all that, that must mean that God is for you. And if God is for you, nothing can ever be against you. And it says in verse 33, who can ever bring a charge against God's elect when it is God who justifies me. Who can ever bring a charge against me when it's God Almighty that's already justified me? God has already issued the sentence over my life that says not guilty. God has already issued the sentence of my life that declares that I am justified. I'm no longer guilty, that my sin has already been paid for. My debt has been canceled. The record of my wrongs was nailed to the cross. So that means that there is absolutely no one that can bring a charge against me because God Almighty, the King of Kings, the Lord of lords has already issued the sentence over my life that I am innocent, not guilty. I am righteous. I am justified by the blood of Jesus. And so then it says, who can come forward and accuse those whom God has chosen? Will God who acquits us? Who is there left to condemn us? Will Christ who died or rather was raised from the dead, who sits at the right hand of God actually interceding for you? So what does that mean? That means 
Who do you think is going to condemn you? Do you think Jesus is condemning you? Do you think Jesus is sitting at the right hand of God beating you over the head for your mistakes? No, he's too busy seated at the right hand of God interceding for you, interceding for you, pleading your case before God the Father, reminding God that all of your sin, your failure, your shortcoming, your weakness has all been paid in full by the blood of Jesus on the on the day that he died on the cross. He already took all your sin. He bore the wrath in your place. He took the punishment. He took the consequences for all of your mistakes. He's already taken it. So he's definitely not going to continue condemn you because he's the one who's actually seated at the right hand of God as our high priest that's actually interceding for us. He's interceding for us. He's pleading my case. He he's he's standing for us. The Bible says that Jesus Christ is the faithful witness. So as you're going about your day, you've got you've got a faithful witness seated in heaven that's interceding for you, that's praying for you, pleading your case before God, reminding reminding God that that you are justified, that you have every right to experience the abundant life that he purchased for you. That's what Jesus's whole ministry is. The Bible says that he holds his office unchangeably, that he is a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek, meaning that he, because he lives forever, you can be absolutely confident that you're saved to the uttermost because that his sacrifice, it's not like it was in the days of old. When they were under the law, they had to make sacrifices every single year. And so people were constantly being reminded of their sin because, because they had to make those sacrifices every single year. But when Jesus came, the sacrifice was done once and for all, once and for all. And so because he lives forever and he's my high priest and he's interceding for me and he's pleading my case for me, that that's why I can say I am saved to the uttermost completely, finally, and for all time. I am absolutely saved to the uttermost. I'm justified for all time and forever. Why? Because there is absolutely nothing that will be able to separate me from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus because the mountain of my sin that was testifying against me Jesus came and he shouted grace 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 to it and that mountain of sin that once testified against me has become like a level plane and he is going to complete the good work that he began in me not by my own might not by my own power but by the spirit of God he's making me holy he's making me more like Jesus I'm being transformed one degree, to, one degree of glory to the next. I'm being molded more and more into the image of Christ. And so that's why God sent the Holy Spirit. The Bible says that the Holy Spirit is the one that's going to convict you of your righteousness. You know, how can I declare all these things so boldly? How can I say I'm saved to the uttermost, you know, for all time? How? Because God sent the Holy Spirit for what purpose? To convict you of your righteousness, to tell you that you're righteous, to assure you that you're a child of God. The Bible says that we've been given the spirit of adoption that cries out, Abba, Father. God has sent his spirit so that you can know for sure sure for sure that you're a child of God and that you are absolutely righteous and that there is nothing that stands between you and almighty God, that you have a perfect right standing with God. And you know, that's why it's so important to understand the Holy Spirit. Once you're born again, the Holy Spirit does not convict you of sin. The Bible says that 
the Holy Spirit convicts the world of sin because they do not believe in Jesus. So the only sin that the Holy Spirit convicts people of is their unbelief in Jesus Christ. So once you're born again, the Bible says that the Holy Spirit convicts people of righteousness. So understand that when you make a mistake, a lot of people get it confused. Whatever voice is coming to condemn you and make you feel like you know, feel bad and want to pull back from God and you just feel guilty. That is not the voice of God. That is not God. God is the one that comes. Even when you make a mistake, the Holy Spirit comes with his love. The Bible says that the Holy Spirit sheds the love of God abroad in your heart. And and it actually says that that love and that goodness, that kindness is what draws you to repentance. Repentance means you, you turn. You turn, you change your mind. So really the Holy Spirit, when you make a mistake or when you sin, the Holy Spirit is the one that comes and reminds you, you're the righteousness of God in Christ. I love you. God is saying, I love you. I'm gonna meet you. I'm gonna help you. I'm here to help you in your weaknesses. I'm here to, to finish the good work that God began on the inside of you. Yeah, even though you made a mistake, you know, he's leading you in the right direction and his goodness, his kindness that he comes and meets you with is actually, what turns you to repentance. And so that's why when people feel condemned, a lot of times they don't, they don't necessarily repent and change their actions. They actually feel so condemned. It's like a self-destruction thing. Like people just self-destruct when they feel so condemned. It's like you actually even try harder to do what's right. It's like you're trying to go back under the law. I'm trying to do right. I'm trying to do right to feel like I'm right with God. And it actually just stirs up those evil desires even more because the Bible says that the strength of sin is the law. So when you try to go back under the law, you're actually strengthening the power of sin. But when you realize that Jesus Christ already came, already paid the price for your sin, even when you make a mistake, you begin to boldly declare, I am the righteousness of God in Christ. There is no condemnation to them that are in Christ. And when you do that, that attracts the spirit of God and he's going to come. He's going to come and he's going to fill you with the love of God. And the love of God is what's going to set you free. The love of God is what's going to change you and mold you into the image of Christ. And that's why it says in the end of Romans 8, there is absolutely nothing that will be able to separate me from the love of God that I have in Christ Jesus. There is absolutely nothing that can separate me from the love of God that I have in Christ Jesus. The devil comes to accuse you so that you'll think that there's something separating you from God's love. Oh, that God's angry with you, that God doesn't love you today because you did X, Y, Z. Oh, you had those sinful thoughts. So now God's angry with you and God's not going to answer your prayers. That's all the lie of the devil to rob you of your inheritance in Christ. But as you begin to meditate on the reality of your righteousness, that is what is going to set you free. And I believe that as you meditate on these things, even Romans chapter eight, when that becomes so real to you, that that will literally set you free. The Bible says that you will know the truth and this truth that you know will make you free. Hey guys, this is Victoria. I just want to say thank you so much for listening and make sure that you subscribe, share it with a friend, share it on Instagram. Let me know that you're listening and I pray that these podcasts will continue to be a blessing to you.